Genesis chapter 26. Genesis chapter 26, verses 1 through 33. We'll save the last couple verses of the chapter for next Sunday. But I'll read Genesis chapter 26, 1 through 33. As background, remember that God providentially brought a wife for Isaac and answered to prayer. Isaac's prayer, God gave them two children, Esau and Jacob. In his sovereign grace, God chose the younger of the two, Jacob. We saw earlier that when they were grown up, the oldest, Esau, despised his birthright, trading it for a single meal. Now the attention shifts again to their father, to Isaac, and the sojourn of his household. So listen now as we begin in chapter 26, verse 1. Now there was a famine in the land, besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you, and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws." So Isaac settled in Gerar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, She is my sister. For he feared to say, My wife, thinking, Lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she is your wife. How then could you say, She is my sister? Isaac said to him, Because I thought, lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, Whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. And Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him, and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants, so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of spring water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well 
Ezek, because they contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that also. So he called its name Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. From there he went up to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. When Abimelech went to him from Gerar, with Ahuzath, his advisor, and Phicol, the commander of his army, Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me, and have sent me away from you? They said, We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So he said, Let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you, that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you and have done to you nothing but good, and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast, and they ate and drank. In the morning they rose early and exchanged oaths, and Isaac sent them on their way, and they departed from him in peace. And that same day Isaac's servants came and told him about the well that they had dug, and said to him, We have found water. He called it Sheba. Therefore the name of the city is Beersheba, to this day. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray for God's blessing upon his word. Lord God, you have been good to your people, faithful from generation to generation, and we call upon you even today. We pray that you would uh, give us understanding of your word, that you would also convict us by it, propel us to the observance of your word, that we might live and walk by faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you've been following along in Genesis, this chapter should sound a little familiar. Uh, there are, uh, much, there's much in this chapter that we have heard before, or at least we have heard very strong echoes, or this is a very strong echo, of things we've already come across. Abraham's life uh, seems to have, have a, a deep shadow, or maybe we should find a more positive analogy, but over the life of his son. Uh, he is walking in the footsteps of his father. And I think Genesis intends to emphasize that fact. Uh, we learn only so much about Isaac's life, and this chapter is where we get the most details about Isaac's life. And what does the author, what does Uh, Moses choose to focus on, it's how he was like his father, how he was a true son of Abraham. Uh, It even begins by comparing the famine in the land to that of his father's day. It was different, but at the same time, it's implicitly comparing them that you've probably heard something like this before. Not only did Isaac descend from Abraham according to the flesh, but he also walked in the faith of his father. And so like father, like son, Isaac also sojourned in the land by faith. Now, Paul says in Galatians that you also are 
a child of promise by faith like Isaac. Like Isaac, you are called to walk in the faith of Father Abraham and to be uh, true sons and heirs. You are heirs of the same promises. Receive them in the same way, through faith in the living and true God, in the God of Abraham and Isaac. In this passage, we find for the encouragement of your faith that God renews his covenant from generation to generation, as he did with Isaac, that God protects his people as he protected Isaac, that God provides for his people as he provided for Isaac, and that the Lord is with his people to bless them as he was with Isaac and gave him peace. So we see God's faithfulness to his covenant revealed in the life of Isaac. First then, let's look at the first six verses, how God renews his covenant from generation to generation. We find that the Lord called Isaac and uh, gave him the covenant promises. A famine had come upon the land. Uh, There was a shortage of food, and so he begins to move. And uh, when God uh, speaks to him, Isaac had moved to Gerar uh, in the land of the Philistines, which would be on the way to Egypt. It seems like perhaps he was headed there because God says, don't go down to Egypt. Uh, That was the natural place to go in a famine. The Nile provided water more regularly than in Canaan. Uh, There would be food there. And we find Abraham had gone to Egypt. Later, Jacob will go down to Egypt. Uh, But God tells Isaac, do not go down to Egypt. As the Lord told Abraham to leave his native land and go and search the land that he would show him, So, similarly, the Lord calls Isaac to follow him by faith. In this case, to not go down to Egypt, but to sojourn in the land that he would tell him. Uh, Namely, this land, uh, which seems to include Gerar. This land as opposed to Egypt. Jacob would be explicitly allowed to go to Egypt during a famine, uh, but that was not the case in this instance. This was a test for Isaac. Would he trust the Lord to provide for him and in time give this land of their sojourning to him. So by faith he would remain in the promised land despite the famine. And so God tells him to stay. He gives a call, but he also then gives promises. Just as he told Abraham, come, come to the land that I will show you, leave your house, and I will bless you. If you receive these things by faith, if you exercise faith in me, uh, I will give these promises to you. Similarly to Isaac, sojourn in this land and I will be with you. What God God did here with Isaac, he would later do with Israel on Sinai, at Mount Sinai. He did not create a different covenant. It's like, all right, I have a covenant with Abraham, and now I'm going to come up with a totally different covenant with Isaac. Uh, But rather, he was making the same covenant with a new generation. We find the same promises, the same four promises, to be with Isaac to bless him, to give land to him and his offspring, to multiply his offspring like the stars, and to bless all the nations through his offspring. We have that that fellowship with his people to bless them, that personal communion. We have the promise of an inheritance 
prefiguring the eternal inheritance of the saints, the multiplying of the offspring as God would make his people be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, and that through his offspring, particularly through Christ, and by extension as his people minister Christ, proclaim Christ, to bless all the nations in him. We also have something new in verse 5. Speaking of his father Abraham, giving Abraham as an example to Isaac, <clears throat> that I will do these things because Isaac obeyed my because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Language that really gets us to think about the later covenant at Sinai, because this language of charge, commandments, statutes, and laws uh, was would be used more once. Uh, greater revelation was given. But of course, Abraham was already to be walking according to God's ways, uh, to his laws, to not be uh, committing immorality. And Abraham had obeyed God's voice, as Isaac well knew. If you remember, Isaac was the one that was going to be sacrificed at the call of God, and Abraham had gone through with it up to the point at which God had stopped him. And so Abraham is presented as an example, as one who obeyed the voice of the Lord and kept his commandments because he obeyed the Lord, he, because he believed the Lord, he obeyed the Lord in leaving his land, in offering Isaac, and throughout the course of his life. And so, Isaac, what does Isaac do? Isaac has these promises given, a call, calling him to respond, and like Abraham, he responds by faith. It doesn't just say Isaac settled in Gerar. It says, so Isaac settled in Gerar. He did not go down to Egypt. He stayed there in the land, in that land. He settled there because of God's command. So he did so. What Hebrews 11 says of Abraham can be said of Isaac as well. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents. What can we learn from this? God renews his covenant with you, with your children. Each one of you is called to walk by faith. Although you were born in the visible church, marked with the sign of the covenant, you must also keep the covenant. You must embrace the promises and follow the Lord. There are two heirs with respect to having Christian parents or Christian forefathers. Uh, The first heir is to simply rely on them without commitment on your part, saying to yourself, I shall be safe. I'm attending church. I have good parents. People think well of me. The second heir is to depart from the way of Christ that your parents have shown you and to despise your heritage, to think little of it like we saw with Esau, who despised his birthright. But rather, like Isaac, you are called to imitate your fathers as they followed the Lord. You need not imitate their sins. Isaac uh, did not imitate Abraham's sin in a second marriage to Hagar. Uh, Isaac remained monogamous throughout his life, devoted to one wife, as he ought to have. Uh, But you should embrace the promises as they did. Did your father say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord? then the time will come for you too. For the children to say the same. For your commitment 
will be tested as well. Uh, After Isaac came Jacob, and after Jacob came Joseph, and later came Moses, and after Moses came uh, Joshua. And at the end of Joshua, you have the same call to commitment, to covenant, to embracing the promises, and to walking accordingly. And so God renews his covenant and calls all to answer it and to embrace it. Let's look at verses 7 through 11 then, how the Lord protects his people. All right, he's in this land, and it's a rough neighborhood. It's uh, not a safe place to be, and the question will be, will God protect his people as he had done before? And we find that the Lord delivers Isaac and Rebekah from danger. We saw the similar situation here. Uh, Like his father, Isaac is married to a beautiful woman. And he fears that the men might, a man might kill him to get his wife. That they'd be more likely to commit murder uh, than adultery. And they would get him out of the way and take his wife, perhaps take his household while he was at it. And so he says his wife was his sister. This did not leave her without protection, since he would be a, her protector as her brother, as Laban had been for Rebekah. But he would have been able in a, in a position to use delaying tactics to put off any potential suitors. Now, of course, his, his choice, as Abraham's was, is debatable. Christians are not always agreed on whether what he did was right or wrong. And two things could make it seem more debatable than his father's choice. Uh, first of all, a, a covenant had been made with Abimelech back in Abraham's day. And secondly, Rebekah was a first cousin once removed, not a half-sister. So the sister thing is even a little further of a stretch uh, than it was for Abraham. On the w- one hand, though, on the other hand, the term sister could include other close relatives. Brother is used to refer to nephews, for example. Uh, but per- perhaps that's beside the point. Uh, with respect to the covenant, at least 80 years had passed. Now, this Abimelech was probably the son of the previous one, Abimelech being a title like Pharaoh, being used for the king of that city. The covenant had included Abimelech's son, but actually had not mentioned Abraham's son, probably because it was intended for as long as Abraham dwelled in that land. We'll find that the wells Abraham had dug had been filled in after Abraham's death. They did not intend for him uh, to return. It's perhaps here we have a Abimelech who will later be like the Pharaoh who knew not Joseph. And Isaac's fears seem to have some basis in reality, because when Abimelech finds out the truth, he says, one of the people might easily have lain with your wife. Does that strike you as a little odd of a statement? as if single women were fair game for any man to have without her consent or her brother's. Oops, it might have easily happened. At least it shows that it was, in fact, a rough neighborhood. Isaac probably wasn't imagining things. And so it can be argued that Isaac, like Abraham, was justified in hiding the truth in self-defense. Deception is wrong. But Scripture does allow for an exception in the case of a hostile enemy who's seeking to kill the innocent, a similar exception as is found in violence for self-defense. The question is, does that apply here or not? The main point is that they were in danger. They were sojourners. They were vulnerable to this sort of thing. But they had a protector. They had God the Lord. 
And this time, the strategy actually worked the way it was supposed to. Rebecca was not taken. And instead of using a vision or a plague, the Lord gave them security by providentially showing Abimelech that Isaac and Rebekah were married. Abimelech realized then the danger that his people were in. Because if anyone had committed adultery with Rebekah, it would have brought down judgment upon the people. One reason for a civil magistrate to be concerned for the cause of righteousness and justice and in the social responsibility that they would have. And so Abimelech warns all the people, whoever touches this man or this woman shall surely be put to death. And he then gives this protection. So far from being a vulnerable sojourner, becomes the special ward of the king. Now this event also reveals the affection that Isaac and Rebekah had for one another. How did he realize that they were husband and wife? Well, he looked out his window and he saw Isaac and Rebekah laughing with each other. Laughing in a way that was not the kind of laughing you have between a brother and sister, but the kind that you have between a husband and a wife. And there's a play on words, too, because remember, Isaac means laughter. Now, he was Isaacing with his wife. Uh, and uh, that was uh, perhaps very fitting, but they were playfully sporting with one another, uh, showing delight and affection towards one another. So much so that some commentators are like, oh, these must have been newlyweds. This must be out of order. You know, this must have happened before the previous chapter. Uh, But it's clearly that this is after the death of Abraham, and Abraham died after Jacob and Esau were born, uh, so that they were not newlyweds. This is several decades down the road, at least, and they were still uh, delighting in one another. In chapter 24, we had been told that Isaac loved Rebekah, and that love had not died decades later. So, from this point, from God's protection, learn to trust God to deliver his church from the clutches of ruthless men. Uh, This repeated theme of God delivering his people from the, the kings who might have touched them shows up in Psalm 105, verses 12 through 15. Touch not my prophets, touch not my anointed ones. And here the king himself is the one who says that. Touch not uh, this man or this woman. The church may walk in the valley of the shadow of death, but God will be with her. They shall feast in the presence of their enemies. Uh, those who persecute his church pick a fight with God, and it's well for people to cease that hostility. And from the example of Isaac and Rebekah, may husbands and wives uh, be encouraged to delight in each other with love and affection, as these holy men and women of old did. If your neighbor looked out his window, would you find you laughing with your spouse? Is that how he would know that you were husband and wife? Love and affection and companionship ought to be cultivated so that the privacy of the home is a place of warmth and delight for husband and wife. In verses 12 through 21, we find then that the Lord provides for his people. He protects his people. He also provides for his people. That was the other test. Not only was it a hostile land, but it was also in the midst of a famine. And so we find in verses 12 through 21 that God provides. And Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. That's incredible on any year, but especially when there was a famine in the land that he sows, perhaps rents someone else's field for his use, and he reaps a hundredfold, about as much as could be expected 
even in good years. He has a great harvest, and he becomes wealthy. He gains more wealth. He has possessions, flocks, herds, servants. But then this provokes envy among the Philistines. The first use of this word envy or jealousy in the Bible, uh, that the Philistines uh, envied Isaac, and then they begin more and more to contend with him. Uh, as, as Alistair Roberts, one of commentator, points out, this is much of how, like, Israel in Egypt will prosper, Israel in Egypt will multiply, and that will provoke the fears and hostility and envy of the Egyptians uh, to be hostile toward them. We have this prefigured already here. Isaac's sent away, and then as he begins to dig wells, there's contention and strife over them as the Philistines claim the wells that he had worked so hard to find. How did Isaac respond? He had men at his disposal. His father had waged war with kings. He could have taken his troops and plowed right over them and waged war against those uh, thieving Philistines. But instead, he did not seek revenge. He sought peace. He moved to the valley. They had filled in the wells that his father had dug, and so he begins to dig them again giving them the names his father had given, given them, builds and recovers the heritage of his father. That's a theme with wide application, uh, not only to do with wells, but he regains the work that his father had done. But then the herdsmen of Gerar begin to claim some of the wells he dug. But he does not use his men to fight against them. He continues to move on and to dig another well. He was not greedy. He did not uh, use revenge. He did not fly into a rage. Uh, He did not envy the Philistines as they envied him because he trusted the Lord to provide. When he was slapped on the right cheek, he did not retaliate. He apparently disputed. There was a contention about the wells, but having lost that, he moved on. As Psalm 120 would say, Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. And that was his experience in Gerar. But as Psalm 37 and Jesus both said, it's the meek who will inherit the earth. So like Abraham, Isaac was blessed with great possessions. And as, what happened when Abraham had increased possessions? Do you remember? His herdsmen had strife with the herdsmen of Lot, and there was strife and contention. You multiply the wealth, you multiply the cares that go with it. And he had to part ways with Lot. And Abraham had been a man of peace, giving Lot the best choice. Isaac here is a true son of his father. He seeks peace. He gives that to the Philistines, and he moves on to dig another well. As much as it depended upon him, he sought peace. Notice also from the history of these patriarchs that blessings often come with trials. They were blessed with beautiful wives, and then they had to fear assassination. They were blessed with children, but often the children did not get along and fought each other. Then they were blessed with wealth, but then that provoked others to envy and contention. God continues to train his people. Even if he gives you one blessing, it doesn't mean you're going to be exempt from tests and trials and training. Uh, it also should teach you to be content that the grass isn't always greener on the other side of the fence, that everyone will have their uh, things to worry about or to work on, uh, to lift to God. 
We should always be ready to endure tests. Even if you have all the wealth in the world, you'll still have uh, trials and uh, a work of sanctification on which God will be working on you. Finally, we also have some progress here from Abraham uh, in each case in which there's resemblance. Rebekah is not taken. Uh, Crops are harvested. That's new. More wells are dug. So there's a progression. We should learn obvious lessons here. Do not give way to envy like the Philistines did. If someone near you prospers and grows wealthy, does that mean we should try to take that from them? Uh, We should seek to send them away because they are doing so well? Uh, No, we should not give way to envy, have hostility against others because of their prosperity. Uh, We should rejoice with those who rejoice, right? Do not give way to covetousness, to coveting your neighbor's wells, your neighbor's goods, uh, but rather to be content with what God has blessed you with. And in so doing, if you're not giving way to envy or covetousness, it would be easier to not give way to revenge, but to seek goods even to those who persecute you, even to those who mistreat you. To trust the Lord, to pursue peace, to press on diligently with hope, knowing that the Lord will provide, as he did with Isaac. And let's look lastly at verses 22 through 33. The Lord is with his people to bless them. He gives peace, finally, to Isaac. He tested Isaac. Isaac went through this trial, but he also was granted relief. God made room for him in the land. And so as he digs a well, and it's not contended over, he names it Rehoboth, which means broad places or room, saying, for now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. The Lord appeared to Isaac at Beersheba and reaffirmed his promises there. Isaac responds by worshiping God and accepts peace with Abimelech by a covenant. Not only does God say, I'll be with you, but even Abimelech realizes that God is with him. All of this, of course, is parallel to God's promises to Abraham and Abimelech's covenant with Abraham. So see how God gives room to his people, giving them relief from trials in time, making them fruitful in the land even during this sojourn, even in this age, even before the consummation, uh, God gives blessings to his people. He sustains them and is with them uh, to give them relief. There are times of persecution. There are times of peace. Uh, The history of the church has not always been the same thing. There's times of prosperity and revival. There's times of persecution and testing. And yet God is with his people so that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we can look forward to that sustaining uh, power with hope. Perhaps also in this theme of wells of water, there's greater significance than the mere practicality of water. Remember when Jesus talked to the Samaritan woman? What were they talking at? Not just a well. It was Jacob's well. It was one of the wells of the patriarchs that they had dug. And she said, are you going to give me better water than what Jacob gave us? Jacob gave us this well. And yet Jesus said, I will give you living waters 
God is the greater patriarch. He's the greater digger of wells. He would give living water to his people. Uh, He would give them uh, eternal life, a source of life that would well up within to eternal life, a living water of the Holy Spirit. Now in verse 25, we find our response to these promises. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. We ought to respond with the worship of God. Isaac had private worship. As we saw earlier, he went out to meditate in the fields. Uh, That's how Rebekah found him. But he also uh, supported, maintained the public worship of God. Uh, The worship here with an altar of sacrifices of the people that they would call upon the Lord and give thanks to his provision, his protection, his blessing, his faithfulness that had brought them thus far. And so also for you and I, this is the way we ought to respond to God's blessing. Give thanks to him, call upon his name, maintain the public worship of God in the land, that even the uh, pagans, even the Gentiles would know that the Lord is with his people, that the Lord is with his church, that he blesses them, and so would seek to draw them near, not only for an alliance of non-aggression in the land, but a joining in the covenant of God, that they might come to the house of God to learn his ways, to walk in his paths. Like father, like son, Isaac walked in the ways of his father. May you be a true son or daughter of Abraham walking in the footsteps of the saints of old. God has been our refuge and dwelling place in every generation. He sent his Son to secure these promises by his death. If the Lord is with you, what do you have to fear? Your victory, your inheritance is secure. Even in this life, he will be faithful to you, victorious in advancing his purposes of salvation and blessing. So pick up your shovel and dig another well. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your faithfulness, that you are a God who is merciful, who is a God to us, to our children, that you are one who does not abandon your people, but in every age uh, saves sinners and who brings us to the true life. We pray that you would be with all of us to renew us all in a commitment to you, a faith that manifests itself by works of obedience. We pray that you would provide for us things that are needful for us with contentment and gratitude, that you would protect us against those who would seek to harm or even worse, to lead us astray, that you would be with us to bless us so that even the nations would know and to seek your blessing. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.